The New York Jets are getting 11 points against the Indianapolis Colts. You know, and, and you got uh, – wh- why is that? Why do well, you no Le'Veon is- Bell. Le'Veon Bell's on IR, and that's uh-huh. probably their best overall player. And they just can't protect the quarterback. And Jamal Adams, their best player who they traded away for traffics, who's now killing it in Seattle, they just don't have a lot of players. So if, if they're going to hang in some of these games – I think the Jets are going to hang in a couple of games, but getting rid of Jamal Adams, not being able to protect Sam Darnold, and then on top of it, Le'Veon Bell on IR. I don't know anybody else on the Jets. They're going to get at least six points off of Phillip Rivers' pick six, so there's six <laughs> right there. So I just think you can't give away 11 points. Oh, the, you say you're really getting 17 because Phillip yes. Rivers for one pick <laughs> yes, six. exactly. You know exactly. And also, another one I have my eye on here is, oh, the Rams getting two in Buffalo. I think the Rams look great. Now, the Buffalo Bills have looked great for two weeks in a row, but the Rams went to the Super Bowl two years ago, and they look back and better than ever. And they're getting yeah, they points. I, I would take the Rams here. And go ahead and do that. I think that's a good pick. I'm going to go down in flames because okay. a couple of weeks ago I picked Minnesota to win the NFC and go to the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. And they're in our 0-2 category. And you know my yep. theory, if you're 0-2, you're dead. Yep. You're dead if you're 0-2. And they're 0-2 with the worst quarterback in the National Football League. Fact, not opinion. And they're at home. They're home with no fans. I mean, you know when they're home in that stadium with fans blowing the horn and everything, right. how good they are. Check this out. Minnesota, the line opened up Pickham, and now it's Tennessee on the road laying two and a half. So yep. Minnesota is a home dog, and I got to go with Minnesota because if they lose this game to go 0-3 and they drop three games to Green Bay right out of the gate – they're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division. And I think it could be the beginning of the end. Mike Zimmer is not going to put up with this well with Kirk Cousins. They're going to get a little bit healthy down the road. So I'm going to go with Minnesota to protect their home field in front of nobody and win that game and just win it outright no, no, under any means necessary to save the season. So my pick is going to be the Vikings. Wow. I just think you're nuts. We went through the quarterback rating. Kirk Cousins, the worst quarterback in the NFL. Tennessee Titans, top five offense with a top five quarterback. I think the average Joe should definitely load up on the Tennessee Titans. Hey, and it's not my money. So take my advice. I'm on the radio. I am on a podcast. Unbelieve the JT and Looney podcast. I must know more than you. Load up on the Tennessee Titans. And if you're going to do it, do it at betonline.ag, a great sponsor here of the JT and Looney podcast, Bet Online from game spreads and totals, teams, players, coaching props. I love the props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any other place online on planet Earth or anywhere else in the universe. Their online casino, it's like 7-Eleven. You know how you can get a Slurpee 24 hours a day, seven days a week? You can bet online at betonline.ag at their online casino. It never closes either, just like 7-Eleven. Whether you need a Slurpee or you need to make a bet, go to betonline.ag and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Betonline AG. Do it. Sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Become a gambler at BetOnline. I have so many gamblers on my show, and a lot of them are really good because they pick. That's another thing I want to get into this podcast. When you're a gambler and you pick 11 games, 
and you get four of them right out of 11. So you're uh, seven wrong, four right, but then you go on the radio shows and tell everybody the four you got right. right. I mean, that's really the industry. <laughs> that sums up the industry it's so much that they launched radio networks with gambling and all this because yep. there are so many dummies out there, and our listeners are not dummies, but there are so many people that are just desperate for fantasy football advice. I had that conversation with my youngest son. He, the first two weeks of fantasy football, walks around like a kid whose chest is popping. Oh, my fantasy team won, Dad. Oh, my God, my fantasy team's great. I go. He goes to me today. He goes, I have to decide if I should start Waller or Kelsey because Michael Thomas is hurt. And I said, start them both. And he's like, yeah, but I could make this trade. And my point is because everybody <laughs> loves gambling the first two weeks and they love their fantasy team. Yeah. And then after week 10, they get their ass kicked gambling and they get their ass kicked with fantasy and they forget about it or do it less. So right now, all of our uh, podcast listeners love any bit of gambling and football knowledge they can get. But once you got an 0-2 team, uh, the Giants and the Jets are combined 0-4. That's the number one media market that's going away yeah. on Sunday for television. You don't think Roger's concerned about that? That Giant and Jet fans, the leaves haven't even turned yet. The leaves <laughs> haven't even turned yet. And both those two teams have oh. no chance to even be competitive. As we wrap up, as you like to say, your Raiders are 2-0 and for the first time, I think, since 2011? Is what I've heard. It's, it's, it's been a while. And going into New England, they're getting five in New England. God, they, the Patriots look great. Cam Newton was throwing lasers on Monday night. And I think the advantage your Raiders have is it's a brutal game. And, uh, well, you know, the, wait a minute. They don't. No, they played on Monday night. They're going to be sore. They're going to be walking wounded. This is a tough game for the Raiders. Yeah, Richie Incognito, a pro bowler's out. Trent Brown there. Their $21 million right tackle seems to not be able to get on the field, and uh, they are banged up here. But I, but I What's like wrong with Incognito? Incognito had an Achilles issue. He felt like it oh, could no. be a problem, so they got him out of the game in time before he didn't have an Achilles rupture, whatever it is. But I'll tell you this, Tom. One thing about the Raiders, they're not facing Tom Brady. They're not facing a guy who goes to the line. Yeah, it's worse. They're, they're facing face Cam Newton. Tom Brady's the fifth-worst quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but I don't. I think Brady, the Raiders will face him in a couple of weeks on Sunday Night Football uh. in Vegas. But Cam Newton, I like that term. Cam's not going to beat you with his arm. He's thrown one touchdown to a fullback. Like I said, it's not like he's playing pitch and catch with Randy Moss. He doesn't have you know someone out there that's just going to run by everybody on the Raiders. There's no Rob Gronkowski, but there is Jules. Julian yes. Edelman. Little bit I, of I, fella. Talked, I talked about that with Gruden on TV. <laughs> I said, how are you going to stop this guy? It used to be Wes Welker. It used to be Danny Amendola. Now it's still Jules. I call him the Lollipop Guild. Insert, mm -hmm. insert the Lollipop Guild. And these little guys, little guys who might be wink, wink, enhanced because they're little, real little, but they got big right. muscles. And they catch everything thrown to them. And they win Super Bowls. And they play great in the biggest of games. And I think you're, for some reason, is it because he wears pink hats? <laughs> for some reason, you're not giving Cam Newton credit for throwing lasers. He was on the money. In games one and two. Has he won the bonnet yet? It's not the hat. You know, the, <laughs> the big hat I'm good with. It's where he wears the old lady bonnet. And <laughs> oh, God. Oh, hey, uh, JT, do you know what number podcast this is? No, wait, 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 wait. Don't even answer that. Let's let Mike Francesa 
sports talk radio legend Mike Francesa. Tell the JT and Looney listener which podcast this is because we love round numbers and milestones in America. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 42, 44, 46, 48, 50. Pro Football Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, two-time Defensive Player of the Year, Mike Singletary, the great Mike Singletary, probably the greatest 50 in the history of the NFL. And a guy who still gets heat for coaching. And it's the guy who still has a couple of famous negative NFL coaching sound bites because he just wanted guys to win and play hard. All the guy did was go to the Niners and want guys to win through threw a guy off the sideline, Vernon Davis, wanted him to hustle harder, sent him to the showers, uh, sat there and looked at reporters and just wanted to win so bad, and he couldn't, just like Matt Patricia. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the comparison of Mike (laughs) Singletary to Matt Patricia. I want to hear this. All Matt Patricia wants to do, and Joe Judge with the Giants now, and and Adam Gaze with the Jets, all they want to do is win. That's their whole life. They make them work 18 hours a day. Singletary was in the conversation. Mount Rushmore, middle linebackers of all time. Right. Played on the all-time greatest defense of the 85 Bears. Gets into coaching. And now the guy literally would have to fight for a high school college job. No one thinks he's credible anymore because he wanted to win and he showed emotion when he lost. Well, uh, if I if I could uh, go back, there was a little revisionist history on your part. He was an interim coach. He, it was Mike Nolan was the coach of the Niners, got fired during the middle yeah. of the season. Mike Singletary came in, and because of that press conference, because he gave a cute press conference, he got a head coaching job. Cut the line, as you'd say. Oh, there we go. You got me, but he's a guy who deserves to cut the line. When Frank Sinatra cut the line to get into the Copa, he deserved to cut the line. So did Mike Singletary. I will not tolerate players that think it's about them when it's about the team. I would rather play with 10 people rather than play with 11 when I know that right now that person is not sold out to be a part of this team. It is more about them than it is about the team. I cannot play with them. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Do you know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the only quarterback ever to throw eight touchdowns for eight different teams that he started for? Wow. Joe Buck, the Hall of Famer, opened up the broadcast with that. Wow. Well, they have to call open up with something good about Ryan Fitzpatrick. He does get, uh, let me take a look at my trusty quarterback rating and see where, where Ryan Fitzpatrick fits in compared to the rest. Of course, I, I can guarantee you one thing. Oh, no, not very well. Yeah. He's one of the five current worst quarterbacks in the NFL. You want to hear that list right now? I'd love the list of your trusty quarterback rating. Yes. What do you got? Okay, at number five, because I can't start at number one, because it'll annoy you. So the fifth worst quarterback in the National Football League is Tom Brady of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's right down the bottom of the barrel, right in front of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's the fourth worst quarterback right now in the NFL. 
Uh, Ryan this year plays for the Miami Dolphins at number three, the third worst quarterback in the NFL, Daniel Jones of your New York football. Danny Dimes is on that list. You got to be lying. There's no way Daniel Jones, the the guy who uh, Eli Manning was benched for, that one? Oh, that guy. Uh, That one, yeah. The guy Eli Manning was benched for. Yeah, Yeah, the guy when Eli Manning was completely healthy and in shape and was his last year in his victory lap. The guy, oh, they benched him for that guy. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. And the guy. Oh, who, who was always there because he was an Iron Man, and which is part of being great. At uh, the second worst quarterback in the NFL is Carson Wentz of the Philadelphia Eagles with a sixty-four point four quarterback rating, and the worst quarterback in the NFL is you've had his back for years. You're also very proud of how much money he makes. The worst quarterback in the NFL is Kirk Cousins of the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> Making how much, oh. JT? I know you paid me pay oh, very close you, attention. How could you not know the 84? <laughs> the people know 4256. That's the number of Pete Rose's hits, right? Yes. People know that People know that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. Right. And the third thing is Kirk Cousins made $84 million guaranteed <laughs> because he was the first one ever to make $84 million. One other thing on your quarterback rating. Yes. I've said this again. I got it right with Donovan McNabb. I'll say it for the hundredth time this week Carson Wentz please leave your life is going to be better remember he already got a Super Bowl ring with Philadelphia Mm -hmm. he was hurt Nick Foles did the Philly special Carson Wentz was presented with a diamond Super Bowl ring he already won one he doesn't have to win another one in Philadelphia he should leave ask to be traded because his life's going to be miserable those fans the wolves are at the door they are already booing him virtually they don't like him they're lining up sports talk radio if he would just listen to me he would leave he would force a trade land somewhere else and enjoy the rest of his life and donovan mcnab never took your advice and donovan mcnab probably could have had a nice career at a second location, don't you think? And, and the reason why Donovan, to his credit, never left is he played in all of those championship games. Yeah, right. He <laughs> went to the playoffs all the time. So at least he was playing in big games, right. not that he was winning. Let me give you the top five quarterbacks in football uh, when it comes to quarterback rating because sure. this is amazing. You just gave us the worst, so I'll jump in and give you the best. Okay. I need the quarterback ratings at number Five. Let's start with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. He's having an incredible year at 119.4, and he's been great right out of the gate because he has six touchdowns and no interceptions. Yeah, he's. He, I always refer to him as Dirk Nowitzki uh, because he's. They're always good. The Green Bay Packers are always good and never great. He's always great, and they won championship. Uh, to, uh, under his belt, so he's the Dirk Nowitzki of the NFL. He's great, and his team's always just so so. At number four, a quarterback who was rewarded, rightfully so. He went to the AFC Championship game. Oh, and he got away from Adam Gase and became great. That'd be Ryan Tannehill, who has a 120.7. Tannehill was real close to going to the Super Bowl, and it looks like he came in as a receiver, remember, at a college and a quarterback. His athletic ability is You've bad. always had his back, and you've always thought he was – I always – Then I just went by the quarterback rating. I always told you he wasn't any good, and you said give him a chance. And matter of fact, he said, you're, he said hi, JT, when we were at the Super Bowl in Phoenix a few years ago. That impressed me, of course. <laughs> Dan Hill, that he knew you on a first-name basis. So uh, you always believed in him. Why? Because he's an athlete, because he played. I saw him play a game in college at wide receiver, and he just he's just a guy who can do it all. He's a great athlete. He's got big body. He looks like a quarterback. And another guy that, you know, Miami is where 
quarterbacks and athletes want to play. They want to play Dwayne Wade, LeBron. Athletes want to play there. He was smart enough to realize it wasn't working there, and he embraced Tennessee. Nashville's an unbelievable market. Now he's a rock star there. At number three, your dirt, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. Quarterback rating of 122.9. Another guy with six touchdowns, no interceptions, and the yardage is pretty amazing. I think he leads the NFL. As a matter of fact, I'm right. In yards, he's thrown for 729 yards through two games. I know it's only two games, but that's impressive. Well, it's also impressive that look at some of the new names uh, on this list, the guys who are improving, Ryan Danhill improving, Josh Allen, a young guy who's only going to get better and better and better. Is this anomaly? Uh, an anomaly? Let's hope not because I actually I hope I don't jinx anything here. I think the Buffalo Bills might be for real finally. Number two is Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God. I mean, this guy gets better. Every time I turn on my TV, I, know. I watch this guy, and he gets better. His quarterback rating is 134.6. He's been sacked six times. Keep an eye on that number because he runs all the time. He runs all the time. But uh, he's having a great start. He's averaging 239 passing yards per game, but it'll be those running stats. And at number one... Wait, wait, wait. don't go to number one yet, because you know I could talk about Lamar Jackson for the next hour. You know I love my running quarterbacks. What Lamar Jackson is doing uh, in Baltimore is exactly what he was doing at Louisville, which is, and and, and I think so often now, what smart coaches are going to do. And when we were younger, they didn't do this. They would bring in a quarterback and say, this is our system, learn it. And now they're looking at what quarterbacks did well in college, and they work those t- that type of system into their offenses. And Lamar Jackson doesn't look any different than he did at Louisville when he was passing for 200 yards and rushing for 200, or passing for 300 and rushing for 200. And he throws lasers. He's just not a, an athlete who can run. No, he's the best football player on the field at all times, as is the number one guy on the quarterback rating. Yeah, Russell Wilson is having a year. It seems like this is the popular choice for popular people. It seems like the media is in on all this. Everybody got the memo that this guy never got an MVP vote, let alone winning the MVP. Russell Wilson's got 140 rating. Check this out. He's averaging 9.7 yards per throw, but here's the key. He's thrown for nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns in his completion percentage is 82.5. Those first two games, five touchdowns against Stephon Gilmore in that Patriots secondary, one of the best I've seen. Oh, nothing. And Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots, he tore him up. Well, Russell Wilson is one of the guys on this list. And maybe above anybody else in the NFL because of his experience, his gravitas. He's the guy, it doesn't matter how poor the Seattle Seahawks defense is this year. Like LeBron James with the Lakers, Russell Wilson can on his own get you a victory. Yeah, I agree. He's just fantastic. He's doing everything right. He's doing everything right on every play. I mean, I'm just amazed at everything he's doing now. So very impressed to see that the numbers that he's putting up. And he's won a couple of big games right out of the gate. And there is a monster game coming up this week. And Dallas is at Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Dallas had the greatest comeback they've ever had in the history of their franchise at home. Think of that. They had four fumbles in the first quarter. They lost three of them. Four. I've never seen that in my life. I was watching <laughs> it live. And then they found a way to come back on maybe the – Worst onside kick 
I've ever seen because it had nothing to do with Dallas recovering it. No. It had everything to do with Atlanta not falling on the ball, which they were allowed to, but they didn't have the handbook on the rule. And this, I'm not being sarcastic, sardonic, or snarky here, JT. I texted two of my Pop Warner teammates that I'm still close to, and the other one's my cousin, Billy, Billy Oprah, who was the skinniest guy on our team and the toughest. And I, I, because we all knew the rules, and we were in Pop Warner. We had a great coach. Uh, my close friend, Scott Palmer, it was his father, New York State Trooper, Jay Palmer. And we ran the Wildcat offense, and we were just terrific. And we knew the rules, though, because no one can kick in Pop Warner. So a lot of times guys can't kick it any further than 10 yards. So we would just fall on it, and we knew the rules. I can't believe, because you watched that with your two eyes, and I watched it with mine, that the Atlanta Falcon uh, hands team didn't know the rules that you can really fall on that ball before it goes 10 yards if you're on the receiving team. As they stood there like it was a punt and waited for it to go 10 yards. Was that just a dream for the Dallas Cowboys? Unbelievable. Well, it saved their season, but again, they're in a bad division. So they're in that division with Carson Wentz. The Giants lost Saquon Barkley for the entire year. And the Washington football team, I can do a two-hour podcast on the fact that the Redskins haven't changed their name yet to a new name. Like, like they can't figure it out Friday over ordering in lunch or Saturday on the golf course or Sunday oh. at a family picnic. They just can't come up with the name. They had Redskins for 80 years, 80 years. Vince Lombardi didn't care. Uh, Joe Gibbs didn't care. Ronald Reagan didn't care. Now everybody cares about the Redskins. I understand why. I get it. I'm cool with the name change. Any idea why they haven't had a new name yet? Yes, I have an idea. I want to run my, my conspiracy theory oh, by you. It's going to be good. Well, here it is. I think Daniel Snyder's upset. That's the brand he purchased. As you said, you and I have had, you know, have talked about this ad nauseum over the years. Or, or should I say, talked about it respectfully over the years. I should phrase it that way. No reason to put it the other way. And... And I always thought, well, you know, words evolve. You know, I'm the words guy on the show. Words evolve, and that happens all the time throughout the course of history that we are morally blind and we use words we shouldn't, and maybe that was one of them. But he bought that brand, and I thought the rule should be that he gets to – that the new owner would have to change the name of the team. But that's the brand he bought, and he should be able to keep it. That was my, I guess, fence-riding opinion. I think he's bitter. That's the brand he bought, and he's just thumbing his nose at society and the NFL and everybody else by not naming his team. What do you think? And there's also an ongoing investigation about cheerleaders and women in the workplace, which is something we're going to get into here in a little bit, women in the workplace. And the fact that they are investigating Daniel Snyder, and he's probably – concentrating more on saving his ownership there because it feels like what does he do rubbing his temples behind closed doors and talking to lawyers okay he's concentrating on that there's 24 hours a day just like you said over lunch when you want to get off the ugly stuff and try to figure out how to save your ass with the cheerleader scandal and the way you've been treating women and everybody else in the organization can't you come up with a name well i got another conspiracy theory that i put in hushed tones that he doesn't want to roll out a new brand during a pandemic. He's got no one in the stadium, no one to buy his gear, only online. Oh, okay. And okay. I went to the brand-new team store for the Raiders, the Raider Image, at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, and they had a VIP opening, and I was a part of that, and I brought my wife, and then they started opening it up slowly because fans can't go to the games. 
there is a line around the stadium. Only 60 people can go in at one time because of the pandemic. And people bake out there, bake out there like potatoes at 100 degrees just to go in and give their credit card and buy as much. I think Daniel Snyder says, why do I want to launch a new team name when... You know, I could sell a lot of merchandise when this pandemic comes to an end. He can still sell Ooh. it online. So I think that has something to well, do I with think it. maybe both of us are right. He's pissed that he has to change the name. So to be uh, so he's just not going to change it for a year and he wants to wait till people have more money in the po- in their pockets and then un- un- unemployment. So you might have it actually right. I mean, maybe we both do. Now was your source on that? You said it was an unidentified source, but somebody texted me a picture of you hanging out with your highfalutin friends, including the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Was Roger Goodell your source, your unidentified source on that? No, but this past Monday night, Roger yeah. Goodell showed up for the first ever Monday night football game, and it was great. Steve Levy of Sports Center is calling the game, and he's got the gold coat on. And I'm doing the pregame show with former NFL six time Pro Bowler Eric Allen, and we're in this cavernous club section called the right. Twits Lounge, and there's no one there. Zero people, they, just us and an engineer, and we're sitting there because they wanted no one in the stadium. You couldn't be spotted anywhere in the stadium. They wanted the building completely empty for a number of reasons. The owner, Mark Davis, wasn't going. He doesn't want to see anybody having a beer or taking a selfie. It's very important to him, okay. the seriousness of this. So I'm there doing the pregame show, and when the pregame show ends on the second, second level – in this private lounge with artwork, it was wild. I'm sitting at a bar, and there's no alcohol. It looked like a scene from a zombie movie. Imagine right. being in an empty area of a stadium where nothing is there. Yeah, The Walking Dead was full, filled with scenes like that. Yeah, The Walking Dead would have been walking through with baseball bats with bob wires looking to get me, and right. they would have got me. It would have been nowhere to run. Every door was locked. It was wild. So after the pregame, I went upstairs to Brent Musburger and Tom Flores and Lincoln Kennedy, they're in the booth, and there was protocol, so there couldn't be like eight or – you can't have eight or ten people in a radio booth because of right. COVID. So I popped in and said hi, and I looked to the left of me, and there's this empty, empty booth catered completely like a wedding, cupcakes and cookies and coffee, whatever you wanted. And I stand in there, and I'm watching the anthem, and I'm looking around, and I, I make a cup of coffee, and I'm like – this is unbelievable. And then I look on the glass, which looks out to the field, and there's huh. this big RG. And I said to myself, holy shit, this is Roger Goodell's <laughs> private box. For and the you're, you're, you're and I, coffee. I, I, oh, I the coffee. I was ready to get into the cookies. Uh. And I, I walked out, and then the game started, Tom. And all of our years working together on the radio, being friends, I've never experienced this before. The, the sound is pumped into the, the game on television, mm-hmm. but inside the stadium, it is as quiet as a church during Mass. Wow. You can't hear. It's quiet. You can hear the players and the coaches in the fourth level. So everybody had to be in the press box, including the Benson family, Roger Goodell, because Mark Davis didn't open up the suites for everybody to sit there and be caught on television drinking cocktails, which was a great move. And I'm sitting up there watching the game, sitting in my assigned seat, and there's touchdowns and there's things happening, and you could hear the coaches calling the plays. It was like a high school football game with no fans. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Uh, yeah, because I never realized that the only people hearing the crowd most likely 
uh, anybody work with headphones on who's calling the game or working sound. Yeah, for me, wow. for me, it was incredible to hear how silent it was. So let me deliver the payoff on the Roger Goodell story. Oh, right, right. So he comes into, he comes into his booth. And at the end of the game... Where you're stealing really cupcakes. You're, you're in there stealing right, cupcakes. About <laughs> well, the good thing about me is I do all my damage on meat and potatoes and beer and well, wine. I don't you're eat, not a sweet guy. I, I'm not a sweets guy. Right. So uh, I maybe right. have a coffee or two. So at the end of the game, I'm standing in the and mulling in the area you've been to a thousand times, the press mm-hmm. box. And there was a lot of press there from Las Vegas, New Orleans, national media who were there covering the game. And I was waiting outside the radio booth to do the post game, and Roger Goodell came out with his entourage, NFL security, about two or three people, and he saw me, and he walked right up to me, and I said, Mr. Commissioner, I hope you had a great time. He said, JT, he had the mask on, never removed his mask like all these coaches do. You right. know, they pull it down and get $100,000 fine. Right. And by the way, he came down with a $100,000 fine for both Gruden and Sean Payton in that game. And Roger Goodell said to me, this is – just a fantastic night for the Raiders. Congratulations to everyone. I said, great to see you, sir. I hope to see you again soon. And he went up to every single worker in the press box, the ones who were pouring coffee or making sandwiches. At the end of the game, it was like five minutes before the end, and he personally thanked everyone to their wow. face. Classy. And then he walked out of there. He's really cla- Isn't he the up. son of a, wasn't his father a United yeah. States Senator or, yeah, yeah. And so, and that is what politicians and people love to trash politicians. But, uh, you know, I always say they're never the lesser of two evils, no matter what office you're voting for They're If they are, if they're evil, we're evil. They're our fellow citizens. And, uh, and politicians, they're in the business of, of shaking hands, and they're people lovers. They get to know people's names. If you ever have known personally a politician, they're very exceptional people. And he's that's his DNA. And uh, and it's not, not a surprise to me, being the son of a politician, that he would make sure he said hi to everybody, including people serving coffee, not just his friends who own teams. That's, that's a cool story. My name is Jimmy Carter, and I'm running for president. I want to jump into women in the workplace because it's a really important topic for me. We work okay. together at Fox Sports Radio. I'm more, I'm more comfortable now talking about where we used to work at for a number of reasons because mm-hmm. I love a lot of people that work there. Yeah, me too. There are still not friends of mine there. There are very good friends of mine yeah. and people in that building. So I don't know Doug Gottlieb well, and I, I pretty much have good things to say about Doug. You oh. know, we met at a Coaches vs. Cancer event. He worked at our uh, network. He still works at Fox Sports Radio. Yep. He's had a career everywhere. Away. So Doug put out a tweet saying, why does Maria Taylor have a vote? Real question. She's a studio host sideline reporter in her first year covering the NBA. She works a ton, not just on the league. No reason for her to have a vote. And it had to do with the fact that Anthony Davis and the lack of Anthony Davis on a ballot after Maria Taylor, who has a much bigger job than Doug's ever had. Right. And I've ever had. And right. I've had some pretty good jobs, and Doug probably had some bigger ones. But Maria Taylor has a much bigger job. So she came out on the offensive and dunked on him and went right back at him and said, because I played basketball, I cover the league, I deserve everything I ever worked hard for. So I just want to explain this again. And, and Doug puts out, a lot of social media, just like right. others do, where I work at Mad Dog and everything. I was just so happy that Maria Taylor did this 
because this, again, is a tweet that was directed at a woman who is qualified to be in her position on ESPN at the highest level, the highest level of broadcasting. And she had to stop what she was doing, just like Alex Flanagan, who went on the aggressive hunt this week at Jason Whitlock, who's now at a different outfit, no longer at Fox Sports 1, that went after her years ago for her sideline reporting. I think it's great that women now are defending each other and saying, stop talking about me, get off me, I'm qualified to do this. So I wanted to begin with this because there's a way you treat women in the workplace. You treat them equally. You don't go after them on social media. You try to avoid the topic. Again, if you're a gentleman, you don't tweet directly and know that you're going to engage a woman to come into that sewer of Twitter and come back at you. And this was a big topic, not so much for me on the radio, but a lot of women came to the defense and men of Maria Taylor. And I got a podcast with you and a radio show, and I wanted to bring this up and own it here because I think women need to come together and women need to be protected in the workplace. And you have always been consistent on this issue, always. And it's not that hard, I often think. Not only is it not that hard to go to work and treat each other with dignity, respect, and love and avoid any slurs of any kind, uh, about anybody's gender, orientation, race, ethnicity. Is, is it that hard to go to work and just kind of avoid that? And has two guys who love to joke around with the guys in a locker room atmosphere. I know that sometimes people, once they get really familiar with, with each other, jokes can cross the line, and I get all that. But it's really not that hard to go to work and not sexually harass or tweet unkind things or... Uh, sexist or things that could be perceived as sexist tweets. It really takes just as much energy with your thumbs to tweet something of a positive nature than it does of a negative nature. And it still comes back to a Mike Tyson quote, which I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the exact quote, but he's got it nailed about the Internet. The Internet is when you can say some things, is where you can say things to people that would get you punched in the face if you said it to them in person, if you said the sexist or racist crap that you say. And I just think it's much easier to tweet positive things than negative things, whether it's about women or anybody else. And you're right. For I don't know why anybody needs to. And here's another thing. I think I don't think she should have said anything. But I, I don't yeah. blame her for defending herself. And she just so maybe she should have to. St- but women don't have to stand up for women. We have to stand up for them. And, you know, that's always been my stance. When the Colin Kaepernick thing came up, I said that, you know, that it wasn't up to black people to say anything. It was up to white people and brown people and Asians and the rest of us to stick up uh, for, for black lives. And gay people didn't give themselves marriage. This, this is the heterosexual conservative Supreme Court did, etc. People don't. Uh, we need to speak up for others. And I'm glad you're speaking up for her and more people. She doesn't necessarily need to speak up. Oh, for she doesn't herself. need it at all. And again, even Rachel Benetta, Rachel Benetta at Fox Sports One said, Doug, do you ever write a tweet and think, hmm, maybe not? This should have been one of those times because it comes across as extremely sexist and quite ignorant. And I agree with the same thing, and I'm not a woman. Yep. And the point is, a lot of people that we used to work with don't want to do and don't want to react to this and say anything like this because. 
you know, they're in a building and we've been in that building still yeah. I think, longer than the majority of everybody in that building. And management encourages this. And this is something it used to be about. And oh, you're saying management is encouraging saying wild things on social oh, media? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, they weren't when we were there, but they are now. You're right. A hot topic mm. about what, and, th- and this happened also this week. I heard someone on the radio go out and give a manifesto on Brianna Taylor. And I said to myself, wow. That's pretty aggressive, like 30 minutes on Brianna Taylor on the radio and about the ability of this. And it tied in everything on the topic about mm-hmm. a no-knock warrant and a whole bunch of other issues. And I said to myself, you know, I could do that on the radio if I wanted to. I have freedom of speech. Right. I, have, I have bosses that would let me do that. But I would never do that on the radio because I respect the platform that I'm on. And right. the same thing about the tweet from Doug and others where what you want to do is you want to tweet something out because you know you're going to get a reaction. And the reaction is going to increase traffic at the parent company, and it's going to come back to some fake podcast number or real podcast numbers. Like everybody right now is so fucking concerned about their podcast downloads, more so than having their wives come up to them at dinner and go, you're such an asshole. You know, that's like a whole bunch of people that think you're a dick now because you said something. That's gone. There are members of the media now all over who would rather walk through life. And look, anybody on social media, we're both on social media. We're going right. to have our trolls and we're going to have people that don't like us. But I was always, I've always gone by this edict in life that when someone meets me, they meet John or they meet JT the Brick. If they right. get... If they get five minutes with me, they're going to like me. I've been around the world enough to know that I've never had anybody never come up to me and say, you know, I met JT an hour ago. Man, and he was such an asshole. No, you've never done back. that. No. <laughs> never happened. No. But maybe it's happened that I don't know about it. But it, it, believe right. me, it hasn't happened often. And now there are, there are individuals in our industry who have no problem being considered a dick, being oh. hated having women come after them publicly to defend themselves. And it's all over the place. It's not one person. It's not 10 because guess what? It's their only way to cut the line. It's their only way to go to the next level, they think, or the level after that. And I think they're mistaken. I don't know if you get to the next level concentrating on likes and retweets. How about you concentrate on quality? And I think that's the best way to go. If you're being ingenuine, it's not the product is not going to last. Your product is not going to last if you're being someone you're not, if you're taking the low road to get more clicks and get more likes and to appeal to the dark side of people. You know, the whole thing about nice guys finish last is actually absolutely a fictional cliche. It's like you know, saying that you can get warts from frogs. You can't. Uh, and uh, when, you fi- when you really do the, uh, the background on successful people, no, successful people like you mentioned about Roger Goodell. Uh, really get to where they are by being kind to everybody about them, by being genuine with everyone around them, and then business begots business, and it's it's uh, business is all personal. All business is personal, and so the kind people, the polite people, get further ahead than the people tweeting about tweeting awful stuff who are getting lots of likes. Yeah, I want to tie this in because we're on the Believe Podcast Network now. Yes. And we got a whole new audience. And it was something that was really interesting to me, one of the podcasts I was on today with a young guy, 
His name's Brady. He's in Vermont. He worked with Arnie Spaniard. And he Mm -hmm. asked me, we're doing this Raider podcast with the Patriots. And he goes, hey, you know, I consider you one of the original godfathers of sports radio. I've been listening to you my entire life. Do you consider yourself that? And I said, no, not at all. I've been doing this 24 years. And I think I found some pretty good success with it. But I look at Mike North and I always always say the same guys. Christopher Mad Dog Russo. I happen to work at Mad Dog now. I mention Mike North. And I always mention uh, Jim Rome, and I've evolved on Jim Rome. I've evolved on Jim Rome, as you know, because he gave me the biggest and only break that ever mattered in my career. The only one that ever mattered. I mean, I've had a lot of breaks. Andrew Ashwood, my mentor, Tom Lee, who hired me for Fox, uh, KNBR when I worked up there, the Raiders who hired me off the radio to do all the work I'm doing now. And Jim Rome deserves the credit for that because he gave me my opportunity as a caller and then winning the smack off. And, I, and I, I try to include him more and more because I went through an immature phase when I broke away from that show at one time because I didn't think that he was really paying attention much to me or just didn't want to acknowledge me that much. And that was just on me. That wasn't on him. Right. And now I filled in. We, we did a show last year for yep. a week. And you know our former producer works over there, Adam Hawk, who I think the world of. And I want to tie it back to him because one thing about Rome, Rome doesn't talk shit about anybody, anybody on the radio or on social media. Go back and scrub his social media for a decade, all the young people that want to get into broadcasting. Nothing. He doesn't talk about anybody. He doesn't troll women. He, he's not a sexist. He you mean if he does go after somebody, it's an athlete. It's within the context of the yeah, profession. Well, yeah, yeah, if he went after an athlete, the, the Jim Everett situation back in the day, yeah. early in his career. But, you know, I, I'm not – I'm imperfect on social media too. I mean, we right. know that. I, yep. I got into DMs all this week. My theory's always been, look at this. As I'm taking the high road here, I'm in someone's DMs all week long. I, yeah, it drives me nuts. But I've been yelling at you about that forever. Well, the only reason I go into people's DMs, if you don't stop cowards who are directly saying bad things about you, you know, if you get a chance, you only got, there's one little button on Twitter where you can just go right at the person. But again, you're right. But they're wrapping it up with Rome. <laughs> There's ways that women treat men treat women in the workplace. How dare anybody ever say anything to Aaron Andrews, Alex Flanagan, Maria Taylor, uh, Leslie Visser, anybody. Leave the women alone. Don't talk negatively about them. They're fair in the workplace. They want to compete on their own, like our friend Deb Carson. And I I got a lot, I could do a podcast on what Deb Carson has been able to deal with and how Deb Carson has done so many great things. In Deb her Carson, Karen Kay. We also work oh. with the great Karen Kay, who's now working on ESPN in Los Angeles. And, yeah, they, they could do an hour themselves on what they've had to go through. Yeah, women who should have had their own shows, women who are better yeah. than the men in the same environment. So th- the reason I'm bringing this up about women in the workplace is I was boiling this week because I know the agenda of it. It's a tweet to get reaction. Not so much to get another 1,000 Twitter followers. Who cares about that? It's to stay relevant when you're not as relevant as you once were, something uh, that we're all going to go through or are going through, and some, that's all subjective. Someone could say your career's done, your career's ascending. All of that's happening to everybody at any time. But to use a woman, imagine being Maria Taylor and sitting there and looking at your phone and it's starting to blow up and you're going, Really? I'm hosting this NBA show. I'm the anchor. I got Paul Pierce to my left. 
I got Jalen Rose to my right. I'm talking to Woj. I'm throwing it back to the broadcasters. LeBron James is playing, and I got to deal with this bullshit. And it, it just got to the point where I said, this is hot clicks. This is a debate that every young male and female broadcaster are going to have to deal with from here on out, is if you want to cut the line, if you want to get better, if you want to be more famous, just be a dick. Be an asshole. Because oh, the, you're right. You know, the window will last. It might be six, nine, eleven years, but the rest of your life on Wikipedia, you're an asshole because you went down this road, and it's happened to a number of people. So let's let's move on after this. Well, I do know one thing: on Twitter or Instagram, the cleverest and kindest things, the most brilliant things you ever tweet or post, don't get as many likes. Silly things, mean things get a lot more likes unfortunately so people go down that road sometimes sexy things uh if women post a picture of themselves in the bathing suit or they say the smartest thing ever said about sports which one's gonna get more clicks and likes and retweets the one in the bathing suit not the one where they say something smart about sports so if you say something smart about life sports whatever the topic is it's not going to get as many likes but do you want quality or quantity and and the Internet's all about quantity, and people are still obsessed with quantity. But you and I both have an incredible quantity of friends and quality friendships. We've got friends that we don't have to talk to for a week or a month or sometimes a year. And you never go a year without talking to friends. I know that. But you know my point. We've got quality. We've got both. It's better to do both, have quality and uh, don't emphasize so much the quantity, especially the quantity of likes or retweets, because you know it's the trash many times to get liked and retweeted. You know, Jessica Mendoza, who does baseball for ESPN, mm -hmm. so she's in the booth, and when she's on a baseball call, she's a former softball player, the highest level, and she's been doing baseball now for years, and I think she does a fine job. And as soon as she shows up, as soon as she shows up on Sunday Night Baseball or has a big game, you just, just Google or excuse me, just search her name in Twitter, and there it goes. All these kids and young men ripping on her and knocking her for having this job. And I always seem to be coming to the defense of her, too, who's earned her platform. And I would assume she's got an MVP vote. I would assume she's got a baseball vote for all these awards, too. And can you imagine someone saying, you know, if she didn't put Mike Trout second on the ballot or third, and then someone going after her, and then it becomes, well, it's not sexist. She's got to vote. we got to treat women equally. No, you just don't tweet at Maria Taylor. You don't tweet and put the name of Jessica Mendoza, Aaron Andrews. Do I really got to explain oh, this? Yeah, it's understand this? Treating women equally isn't pushing them down to get out of the burning building before they do. That isn't and, and that's how some people, I guess, uh, uh, think of it. But you said something really important about uh, about responding, and that is, um, or reacting, and, and that is you don't, and, oh, and you, what you also said was platforms. What Some people mix up platform with having a phone. Some people have earned a platform, and some people have earned enough money to buy a phone. Oh, and podcasts, too. Everybody's got a podcast. Uh, right, but, you know, it doesn't matter if you've got a phone. It doesn't mean you've got a platform, and a lot of people get that all mixed up. I also think that people like you, and Mendoza and anybody else 
Uh, there's Julie DeCastro out of Chicago. She's oh. always getting so upset. We've had her on to take a look at uh, I got the last name wrong, but she's out of Chicago. She's always getting really upset about everything, the awful things that guys tweet at her. I think she's compiling all the awful stuff to write a book. But stop looking. Why are if you have earned a platform and you you know you're giving your opinion on things. You've earned the platform as you have, JT. Why, why do you need to look? Well, coming from you, who has a Marilyn Monroe Walhall behind, and yes, you thank you. you. Uh, I guess you look at that all the time. That is a beautiful <laughs> uh, painting. I just wanted to mention again. Uh, this is an interesting stat. We we talk sports. We talk mm-hmm. stats for a living. As we record this podcast, this famous. This milestone podcast, 202,000 American dead to COVID-19 as we've charted our way through a summer, a really dark summer, a difficult summer of social injustice and the pandemic. We are now over 202,000 as the number continues to climb. And I look at that number and in the beginning, People were trying to figure out the number, what it would be on these graphs, Dr. Fauci, the CDC. Right. No one really could. There was one graph that had the number going to 2 million right. or 1.5. And in the very beginning, it's like the beginning of a stock market trend. You have no idea where it's going to go. Now I'm starting to get that this number, if we have a second wave, is going to go to 400,000, going to go to 450. And to think that the numbers can double where they are tonight, Tom, that's very concerning to me. It is concerning. And what problem is, oh, people think it doesn't affect them. And any time people think it doesn't affect them, it takes a little bit longer for people to take it seriously. And unfortunately, with these numbers, eventually this affects everybody. And you realize, oh, I thought it was others. And another thing is, when people have pre-existing conditions, pre-existing conditions many times, other than the obese among us, uh, are invisible. Pre-existing conditions are invisible. And I think a lot of us are saying, well, it's people who already had some kind of condition. Yeah, well, that, that might be the person sitting next to you. That might be the person that you love deeply. You just don't know they have a pre-existing condition because people don't have the, that around their neck and it's nobody else's business. But we're finding out that... Uh, and. You know, if a grandmother is dying at 72, but she might have been able to live to 92, that's not less sad than if than someone dying at 22. It's seemingly on the face of that. Normally it is. But uh, but you know what I'm saying there? It's uh, I'm taking 92. Thank you. If I had the choice between 72 and 92, wouldn't anybody? And so I think that's one of the problems with this is people think of it as others and anytime you think of a health issue as others then that's when you have a problem getting control over that's a really important point it's the devaluation of the human life right when someone says and anybody says a politician or a friend or someone says just out loud well it's two hundred thousand, but and the number could Ooh. be wrong and it might be off or it's only old people and you sit there and you look at them and go do you value the human life? Do you know do I, anybody? Do you know and any least, old people? At, at least we're getting to the point now where it's starting to get to the point where everybody knows someone who's had COVID. Not everybody knows someone who died from COVID. Right. But everybody, John Gruden admitted it finally, he tried to keep it private. He came out after Monday Night Football with the fine and all that and admitted that he had COVID and he had it, I believe, in July. And I was talking to him and seeing him around then and texting them, and, and it was none of my business. And other individuals have had it, 
and they don't want to be out front with it and tell everybody that well, they it, have yeah it. you know you don't have to it's not your health is nobody else's business your health Absolutely. issues and and people don't have to reveal uh at times they've tried to you know make uh venereal diseases and and different things not not being open about it against the law but the most of those have been struck down because uh, really our medical information is our own and he doesn't owe it to us well, yeah i don't think people today maybe the, the youngsters do it the millennials i don't think we're getting to a new era where people open up at a dinner and said you know i had vd in 1983 <laughs> UI in 1984 i had COVID in 2019 i don't think people need to uh, put that out there exactly the privacy of their own home or or to their doctors so wow we are 51 minutes and 45 seconds into the jt and looney podcast episode 50 and you're still listening Thank you so much. Now we're going to talk about dead people. I'd like to. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to end the end the podcast by paying right. respects to two individuals: Gail Sayers, okay, the greatest number forty who passed away. I spent a Super Bowl with him ten years ago. I was the MC of a Super Bowl party at the Gold Coast, and he was the guest of honor. And at that point, ten years ago, he just died of dementia a couple of days ago. He was beginning to have onset dementia. I think someone warned you, right, behind yeah, the someone, scenes? That's yeah. a, it's great memory you had. Someone yeah. pulled me aside and said, uh, the woman he was with said, yeah, Gail, he's just, you know, he's not, he's not perfect in regards to retaining everything. And I was supposed to do a chalk talk with him halftime at Super Bowl. We're both in suits on uh -huh. a stage. And uh, someone saw this. And it's something that will always stay with me. I started off what was supposed to be a 10-minute halftime chalk talk on adjustments and who's going to win the game. And he looked across from me, and I could tell he wasn't getting any of it. And he just right, wasn't okay. retaining it. And I just turned to the crowd and said, hey, everybody, we get an opportunity to take pictures and get autographs from Gail Sayers. Enough of this. Everybody get in line and, and get a chance to meet him. And I was away Good from job. him in that yeah. because I saw that. And, and what a beautiful life he had. The movie Brian Song, I texted my son in college. Because that was a TV movie of the I mean, week. We, we were kids, I think. And yeah. I think it had the highest rated TV movie of all time. Of well, all time. Also, uh, the backstory on that TV movie is something that would be very appropriate for what we're talking about today when it comes to social issues. For decades, the NFL had this rule. If you're going to keep black members on your team, you need to have an even number, 2, 4, 6, 8, or 10, never 1, 3, 5, 7, or 9. Because then on the road, back then you didn't get your own hotel room. And you would never want a black athlete to stay in the same hotel room with a white athlete. And so the NFL always had an odd number of players and then george hallis the papa bear who said well this is my league i invented it i'm going this year with 10 uh, or with nine with nine black players and that meant someone would have to room at least one black athlete would have to room with a white athlete and that's where that story was born with Gale Sayers and brian piccolo right and uh, an ugly history beautiful story that came out wonderfully for those two in their relationship and right one of the highest rated television shows in the history or tv movies and television shows period in the history of television for a long time she was an amazing woman whether you agreed or not she was an amazing woman who led an amazing life I'm actually sad to hear that. I am sad to hear that. And I want to say this. The other person I want to pay tribute to is RBG, Ruth 
Bader Ginsburg Ooh, yeah. for a number of reasons. I think as a woman on the Supreme Court, as an attorney, what she championed her t- entire life for women's rights, her achievements on the Supreme Court, uh, just who she was, what she stood for as she's being laid to rest and her, her casket will lie in state at the Capitol. Right. The first time that's ever happened for a woman justice there. And I, I just think the world of her and over the last couple of years, the great documentary, the notorious right. RGB, which was great. And uh, politically, I don't talk politics much on this, but I don't believe that we should be debating this seat being open. I know that's going to get other people crazy. Right. Other people that has nothing to do with politics for me. It has everything to do with dignity and wait. This election is going to be bat shit crazy. Right. It's 40 plus days from now. And I think we're going to make a decision and it's just going to get more people inflamed and fired up. I just right. I, I don't think it'll be. First of all, it's not the mo- every four years. They say this is the most important. This is the most important election of our lifetime. They say oh, this is this is I, I, uh, <laughs> it, might be. it might be, but it's not going to be as crazy as you say it is. But uh, hopefully by but, you know, sometimes the you know, when you think you're not going to have a good time at at a party or a wedding, and then you go and you have a great time because it's the power of low expectations. So hopefully your low expectations will be exceeded uh, with a, a, a peaceful night, and uh, we'll just oh, yeah. let... Yeah, we'll, we'll let it go there, but I, I'll tell you this much. I, I got to the point now politically where I almost don't care. I care more about coronavirus, and I know you can tie everything to politics. Right. I care about the economy. You can uh, tie the election to the economy. I care about my wife. I care about seeing my parents uh, and getting through COVID. And seeing our friends. Some of our friends we can't see because of this. And you and I are friend people. So uh, that's number 50. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.